0: Welcome back to the Cyclotist Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Tuesday, December 14th. This is the penultimate podcast of the year. We're going to make one more next week, but yeah, we're almost done. We're almost done with this entire year of podcasting. We've got some interesting things to talk about today. We've got Dylan Gonowagan who left. Team Yumbo Visma, and headed over to Bike Exchange. We've got a very snowy cyclocross race. We've got Burger King. We can talk a little bit about the World's 2022 courses, because those are going to be in Australia. And so our own Matt Deneef has been digging into those. And finally, we had an anti-trans protest at U.S. cyclocross nationals. We'll briefly update you on that in today's Nerd Nugget. Bianchi is building a bike factory in Italy. Now, of course, you need the context there, which is that they haven't built bikes in Italy for quite some time. We'll get to that at the end of the show. We have most of the usual crew with us here today. Dane Cash, how are you today? Is the microphone working? guess you'll have to tell me. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. You can hear me? All right, that's a good sign. We can hear you just fine. James, you look cold
1: in the uh, segment Tips World Headquarters, as usual. <laughs> it's actually not that cold in here, but I do have a question. When you say in the beginning of the podcast that we have most of the usual crew here, who exactly constitutes the usual crew? <laughs>
0: I don't know. Because who's missing? I,
1: I make it up I make it up every week.
0: <laughs> I think Ronan's kind of usual crew He's at con- this point. He's on... He's on
1: sometimes, and then but you know Jose is on sometimes. Like, are they the usual? I I don't. Who are who are we defining as the usual crew? It's a question. I think this is. I think this is the core usual crew. So quote unquote usual. So then all of the usual crew
0: are here. We have all of the. I I I regret the error. I I feel like I feel
1: like I feel like you're just hedging, (laughs) Kaylee.
0: It's because I can never remember who's here and who's usually here, and it's easier. It's it's the it's a verbal equivalent of what I call the hoodie write around which I which I learned I learned from the great the great Andrew Hood one of the greatest cycling journalists of all time our colleague over at Velonews uh it's how to write a line in a story when you don't actually fully know what's happening so that you're not actually wrong it's that's that's basically the hoodie write around and it's a skill that reporters need to learn <laughs> And that's essentially what that is at the beginning of the episode. Anyway. Hi, James. Shoddy Dave, you're with us as well. I certainly am. Uh, Is your internet working better today? Is there more delay, less delay?
2: Well, we've still got delay, but I saw them laying fiber outside the house yesterday, but knowing in France, they're probably laying the fiber and they're going to hook it up to the house in probably about (laughs) 2027.
0: Unlucky for you. Unlucky for you. And Abby Mickey, where are you in the world at this point in
3: time? Aspen, Colorado, where the beer flows oh. like wine and the women flock like the salmon of the Capistrana.
1: <laughs> I, what, what does that mean?
3: I don't know. I've don't, never yeah. seen that movie. Dumb and Dumber?
0: Mm. Yeah. I, no, no. You've never <laughs>
3: seen
2: Dumb and Dumber?
3: No, but it's really funny when people come to Aspen because of that movie. They're like, yeah, I'm here because of Dumb and Dumber. And it's like, well, that was filmed in Breckenridge, so you're an idiot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you going skiing?
3: Uh, We have shockingly little snow. snow. Yeah. Um, Mm. They haven't been able to set any of the Nordic tracks yet, um, on this December 14th. Oh my god, that's so sad. Uh, And there's only like one run open on on Aspen Mountain, so I am waiting to buy my $100 daily pass for a day where it's worth it.
0: You should come down to Purgatory. Ski down here.
2: While you're waiting, Ab, you can watch Dumb and Dumber. You won't regret (laughs) wasting the time. One of the greatest Jim Carrey movies, if not the greatest Jim Carrey movie.
3: I think I'll pass, but Thanks for the suggestion. I've made it this far in life without watching it.
0: We got 25 inches last week, Abby. Whoa. Come on down. Come skiing. It'll, it'll be great. That's blah, blah, fine. blah. Durango's so awesome. Everyone should come down to Durango. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, this episode is off to a quite normal start. Uh, let's, get, let's get into today's, today's show. But before we do, the penultimate continental ad unless they come back for next year we don't know actually i I haven't talked to the sales guys uh what are we learning about continental this week shoddy do
2: you know what i haven't looked at a thing yet because i'm looking up dumb and dumber quotes now we got no food (laughs) we got no jobs our pets heads are falling off right into the into the ad now (laughs) there we go anyone who rides throughout the winter months knows how much it sucks to change a flat when you can barely feel your fingers Enter the Gator Skin Hard Shell. These play off the classic continental Gator Skins, but they have an extra layer of puncher protection. Perfect for your winter rides. If you're lucky enough to avoid the winter months, the Gator Skin Hard Shells are still perfect for all your off road adventures. The Gator Skins are one of Continental's classic tyres. They come in a range of sizes from 23mm right up to your 32mm, as well as 650B, 26-inch and 27-inch. Another great quality of the Gator Skin is that they won't break the bank. They're a pretty affordable tyre for what you can do. A classic Gator Skin will run you about $34, about €28 for proper money, depending on which variant you go for. With a Gator hard shell, Continentals continued to deliver the perfect tire for every situation. There we are, believe it or not.
0: Thank you, Continental, for sponsoring today's episode. Let's get into it. Let's get into the show. Now, the first thing on my little run sheet here, Dane, is Dylan Grunwagen, who left. Team Jumbo Visma and is headed over to Bike Exchange. What's going on here and what are some of the... Well, why did he go, basically?
4: Yeah, another leaving early to go somewhere else transfer. We've had quite a few of those the past, well, few months, but, you know, past several years, really. Uh, It's usually been DSM doing this. uh, But in this case, it is Jumbo Visma and Dylan Grunewagen, who, while his 2021 campaign was not his best uh, and he had... he, He served a suspension... Uh, who up until, you know, his suspension, really, uh, I think was one of the, the very best sprinters in the world. And all indications to me are that he'll get back to that. No reason to, I think, no reason to think that he wouldn't. Uh, so it's a pretty big deal that he would leave early to go to bike exchange. And yet, I think it's a move that works out for all parties. It kind of makes sense for, for everybody involved. So he still had time left on his contract uh, at Jumbo Visma, where he'd been for, for quite some time. Uh, instead, he is headed to Bike Exchange on a three-year deal uh, starting, starting uh, in 2022. And, yeah, I think everybody wins here. Uh, Grunewagen is a four-time Tour de France stage winner on a team that, or previously on a team that was heavily focused on not winning stages, but trying to win the overall. When you've got Primus Roglic and Jonas Vingego, uh, you've got other priorities. And it seemed as if they were not going to be focusing on doing Grunewagen's Tour de France plans and you know, even the stage hunting goals that they might have, they've got Watt van Art for that. So Grunewagen apparently wanted to, well, uh, unsurprisingly, try to win stages of the Tour. And with that opportunity not really there at, at Jumbo Visma, he's going to go somewhere where he probably will have that opportunity. Um, there's some great reporting from Andrew Hood over VeloNews about, you know, how the move came together. And yeah, it basically came about when Bike Exchange decided they wanted to s- secure a, a big name sprinter, And they realized that Grunewagen actually, despite not seeming available to the outside, maybe was available. Uh, And in a way, I think this is a really interesting move in contrast to some of the DSM stuff. Because if you looked on social media on Saturday, I kind of wonder if there was a directive from Jan Visma for everybody to do this. But the whole team was very friendly. They were very, you know, we'll miss you, Dylan. We love you, Dylan. Uh, good luck at your new team, Dylan. It was everybody wanted to make it very clear to the world that this was not an acrimonious split. This was a happy split. This was a well. We don't have to pay. Well, I'm sure they didn't say this, but I think Yambaviz was thinking we don't have to pay this guy anymore, and he gets to go do his own thing. And I think Dylan Groeneweg is happy that he was let out of his contract. Uh, so yeah, in in kind of contrast to some of the DSM stuff where we've heard, you know, behind the scenes there was some some strife this seems to have been something that everybody said, okay, this works out. Let's all do this. This is great. And everybody wins.
0: Yeah. It feels to me like a pretty perfect match. Actually. I, I mean, you've got, you've got a guy who's won a lot of sprints, including very, very big sprints, total front sprints, going to a team that won a grand total of nine races this year, the third worst of any world tour team. And they need, they need that. They, they need some help over there. They need to get some, some bigger wins. Uh, they, they, didn't even do particularly well, actually, in the in the sort of top 10 ranking. I think they were fourth or fifth from the bottom on that as well. And by that, I mean finishing in the top 10 in races, meaning that they weren't really that close. Uh, Bike Exchange had definitely had a bit of an off year, <coughs> and a signing like this. Not only works for, for and who, like you said, is now going to have that freedom. Uh, I think way more freedom than if you're sitting in the same team as, you know, Walt von Aert and Roglic and everything else. But he'll also have a team that is desperate to get victories and is therefore more likely to build, well, a whole unit around him, I think.
2: Yeah, You look at Bike Exchange over the past couple of years, it does feel like a team that sort of slipped down the slope quite a bit from its glory days. So it's it's nice to see that they're getting a bit of fresh talent in there, mixing things up. Like Chavez is leaving, so you you do wonder how they're... Um, Grand tour lineups gonna gonna change because obviously they've still got Yates there to do a bit do a bit of damage goal for one one of the grand tours, but they obviously there's two other grand tours free for just going out for stage wins now.
4: I think it's a pretty smart move given that with the GC focus, I it's really hard to to pull off those wins unless you're one of two two people, maybe three if you include England Bernal uh it, it, there's not a large pool of people who can win the Tour de France. I mean, some people might say there's only one person like Tadej Pogačar is that good. Uh but the fourth or fifth best Grand Tour rider in the world is that's already you're already like probably not going to win the Tour with a fourth or fifth So you might as well not expend your resources there. And I think the bike exchange is making a great move here getting a guy who can win uh sprints at the at the biggest race in the world and and yeah, nice move for them.
0: I- I would I would kind of counter that, and I don't necessarily believe what I'm about to say, but I've heard from sports marketing people, and I've certainly heard from teams that they believe a top ten at the Tour de France is worth more in some cases than a stage win at the Tour de France, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I feel like a stage win always feels like a bigger thing than than you know the rider that cruises around an eighth the entire month and nobody ever talks about. But I think they're t- they're taking into account things like there's a lot you get a lot of local media if you've got someone sitting in seventh. I mean, imagine, you know, Sepku sitting in seventh, right? Velanus is gonna write a whole lot of stories about that American rider in seventh place. But even so, I don't I don't necessarily I, I, I guess I just I wonder how that math works out, right? I wonder whether that's actually true, that you're better off with a with a sprinter like Dylan Gronenbeg and than a GC rider. Who might finish fifth or sixth or seventh?
4: So, so I think you know I've heard I've heard the, that too, and I think it's particularly true in Europe. Um, you know, fifth or sixth in a Grand Tour is, is a big deal, uh, but they are, they kind of already have that. I, I, my point isn't so much that that uh, you have to pick and choose between those two things. They've already got the guy who can finish in the top ten, and that's at, you know, Simon Yates has won a Grand Tour. He's 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 clearly good enough to finish in the top ten of a Grand Tour. Uh, so I don't think they really need to make too much of an effort to go find another one of those riders when you've you've already got a dependable simon Yates. the question is can simon Yates actually stand on the top podium of a tour de france and that uh, i don't know about that so you might as well instead of trying to instead of trying to build around that well if you go get dylan grinnelweg and maybe one of their lead out guy all of a sudden you can win sprints at the tour i mean who who knows if he'll return to that level he it's it's been a little while not a long not a long while since he was at that level uh, but pretty pretty recently he was you know one of the top very very top sprinters in the world
2: and that's it. it's, it's, I would say it's not just getting a top 10 at a Grand Tour that's worth more than a stage win. It's getting multiple stage wins, I would say it's worth more than getting a top 10. So getting a top 10 and getting one stage win is there's, there's the balance in there. And that's where Gronewagon comes in. If you can get multiple stage wins, it's definitely worth more than getting a top 10. 100%.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great move. Uh, like you said, Dane, great move for... Grunewagen, great move for Bike Exchange as well. Uh, great move for Yamba Visma, who, like you said, don't have to pay him anymore and don't have to worry about trying to support a sprinter as well as win the Tour de France. So really a, a, one, of the, one of the smartest, best transfers I think we've seen this offseason.
4: I do kind of wonder what Michael Matthews thinks of all of this. Um, he's got a different skill set from from Dylan Grunewagen. Grunewagen's, Grunewagen's a, purer, a purer sprinter. Not that Michael Matthews can't win an occasional bunch kick, Um, But with Grunewag there, I think he's going to have few opportunities to try, which could also reduce his opportunities to rack up green jersey points if that's something he had in mind. So I I can't see Michael Matthews being thrilled with it. I mean, I don't really this doesn't really seem to help him much, Uh, but I wonder if he's at least kind of okay with it. Anyway, it's happening, so.
0: I, mean, I yeah, I could see him getting roped into into lead out duty. Honestly, if if is, sort of returns to the best sprinter in the world, kind of kind of position that he's been in in the past, I could I could see that happening. Which yeah, Matthews would not be stoked about at all. Let's move on from Dylan and talk about a snowy cyclocross race. Snowy cyclocross races over the weekend. This is your weekly cyclocross segment. How long is it going to be this week? Who wants to tell me about it, Dane? Uh, Can I just interject?
2: Oh, look, Frost. Dumb and dumber quote. Perfect for this um, <laughs> bit, bit of the podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nicely done, Johnny. 10 out of 10. Dane, what happened to the cross races over the weekend?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest news was the, uh, the, the course, the terrain, the, the weather conditions, uh, the fact that there was snow everywhere. Femme Van Empel won the women's race, uh, beating Mariana Voss and Magalie Rochette. And Juan Van Aert, unsurprisingly, won the men's race. Uh, he continues to win. He keeps winning. But yeah, I think the big story was the fact that uh, Val de Soleil was, was covered in snow. And that had a lot of people talking about the cyclocross world's uh, interest in going Olympic. And the fact that it it technically has to take place on snow for that to happen. Uh, so there was a lot of chatter uh, over the past several days about, yeah, th- this sort of potential um, uh, change to th- the sport, I guess. And, and that's something that a lot of people want. I don't know, I don't, I don't know about that, but uh, if you want to see what racing in the snow is like, you can go watch the Val de Soleil races and you can see people slipping all over the place.
0: <laughs> I mean, there are pretty much guaranteed snow. They're They're in the mountains. <laughs> in the middle of December Uh, and it's not Aspen, which is apparently getting no snow this year. So uh, that that clearly was the goal. It was like, you know, they wanted to, they wanted a snowy second cross race because there's no way they would have put it there otherwise. Right.
2: (laughs) So dang, you shrugging your shoulders doesn't (laughs) help people listening to the podcast. That's
4: a good point. We should do a video (laughs) show, you know, off season.
3: You tried that already Uh, and it did not work. Yeah. (laughs) uh i think there was i mean they they clearly want to put their hat in the ring for the 2032 olympics and having not 2032 what year is this year 2022 2026 2030
0: it's paris 2030 i guess it's too late for paris isn't it
3: uh, no, That's I mean the so winter olympics. Winter. So 2 years Oh, next winter. difference, yeah. Um it's too late for <laughs> this winter.
0: <laughs> P- putting cross in the winter olympics is stupid. Yeah, but I'm it sorry. doesn't but, but it like, doesn't
3: belong in the summer olympics. It it it, it doesn't happen in the summer, it's a winter Certainly belongs more there sport. in the
4: winter olympics. Then trying to yeah. then yeah. trying to do but this weird thing where you put on snow. It happens
0: on snow.
3: Almost never. Exactly. No, but, that's, <laughs> but the point about that is that not everywhere in the world has snow in the winter. So why does it, if it's a winter Olympic sport, why does it have to happen on snow? There's not snow everywhere in the winter. Yeah, but
4: that, that, that question is for the organizers of the Winter Olympics and their rules about having things take place on snow or ice, which is silly. But the fact is that that's the rule. So
0: that seems like a fine rule to me. That's, that seems like a fine rule to me. I mean, like, you know, you could play beach volleyball in Dubai in January. That You can do that. But also, beach volleyball should be in the Summer Olympics. I like, mean, true, but... It seems like a pretty easy way to split the two things. To still,
3: me. the I was entertained by the snowy cyclocross race. My dad was definitely not. He kept saying, this is stupid. But I was highly entertained <laughs> by it. Um and I think it would be interesting to see how much the sport would change if it was put in the Olympics. I mean, a lot. Obviously, it would get a lot more um, attention or maybe a little bit more attention. Maybe a little bit more. Um, but, but I think the, the actual sport itself would change a lot if it was on snow a lot more. I mean, they were running like... 15 psi that can't be right but they were running very little tire pressure that's probably about right which meant that 15 like, 25 yeah which meant i mean there was no way that Puck said could bunny hop a barrier with that much tire pressure right like i don't know anything about tech i don't know why i'm trying to tech but <laughs> but you get me right you understand what i'm saying
0: i i mean i i, I remember when uh was it sven nice uh, Sven Nese Sven I think it's nice Um Svenness, Sven the Svenness. when he there was a, a snowy cross worlds like 10 years ago and he showed up with spiked tires and the UCI said so that he couldn't use them like that's what you'd have to do if it was actually a, a snow sport, right? You'd have to have technology that was designed to allow them to actually ride their bicycles on the snow. I mean, frankly, they're kind of lucky that the snow was quite heavy at Valdesol and, and they could still ride. But, like, there are there are circumstances in which you just would be running with well, your imagine, bicycle. If, imagine around if the it lap was like every time.
3: <laughs> imagine if it was a warm day and then it froze overnight. I mean, like an ice skating yeah, exactly. ring. Or
0: that. Yeah, I mean, like it'd be it'd be it'd be terrifying if you wouldn't if you didn't allow them to have things like spiked tires. If you had spiked tires, go for it. That's then a winter sport in my mind. But with just rubber tires where you're slipping around all over the place, then yeah, not so much. I mean my other sort of general issue with, with crossing the Olympics is there's like two countries that are good at it, which granted there are other sports that are like that. There's not a whole lot of curling going on outside of like Canada. I was going to say, but...
3: if curling can be in the winter Olympics, cyclocross can be in the winter Olympics. <laughs> oh, no.
0: Curling's got history though. Curling's yeah. I love history. curling. Uh, Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that's because you're Canadian. I that am. makes perfect sense. It's
3: in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> but there's that's
0: not a whole lot of like, you know, uh, Mozambique is not curling a lot. Right. You've got pretty much the same couple of countries winning a lot of things in the Winter Olympics. So I'm not sure that that's actually the best argument. But that is a argument against this as well in that you basically have Belgium and the Netherlands are the only two countries that that will stack a top 10. Right. You might get the occasional Tom Pidcock in there. But for the most part, it's a pretty small sport isolated to a very small part of the world that isn't really done sort of across the, the countries that have snow which most winter Olympic sports have at least some uh, spread across the, you know, various winter countries.
3: Imagine if they announced in 2026 that the winter Olympics was going to have a cross in 2030, though, there would, it would probably elevate the level of racing at least a little bit so that there would be more than just
2: Dutch and Belgians. Well, that's exactly it. You just got to look at the track cycling, like, right? You go back; it used to be Italy, France, but it used to be the traditional cycling countries. And then, with the, I, I suppose, the Sydney Olympics, Australia got in on the scene. And then, obviously, that rolled over to the British cycling when the lottery funding came in, and they ploughed a load of money into the British cycling because, yeah, if you got medals, you got lottery funding. If you got lottery funding, you got you got medals. Long it was a, a lovely. Circle of funding and wins, wins and funding. So there's no reason why if a sport such as cyclocross did get thrown into the Winter Olympics, that, yeah, it does elevate the sport and bring more countries into it who haven't done particularly well because it is a small sport. And then with it being a bigger sport, yet countries might start putting a bit of money behind them.
0: I think if it didn't get brought in the Olympics in the sort of uh, American heyday, like the peak here what, eight years ago? I don't think it's going to now, unfortunately. But I you- think that, that money talks, and I think that they pay attention to where markets are, and I don't think it, it will happen.
3: Great. We're going to you- see gravel in the 2032 win- <laughs> Summer Olympics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I think that's more likely.
2: <laughs> in, in that case, BMXing shouldn't be in the Olympic. BMXing should have been in the Olympics back in the 80s, but it only got into the Olympics, what, uh, to, uh, 2012, was it?
0: That's true. Maybe they're not very good at what they do. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) let's move on. Let's move on from cyclocross. That was the long cyclocross segment. You're welcome, cyclocross lovers. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about Burger King.
2: Dane should talk about Burger King because he is a massive fan of chicken nuggets.
4: Uh, but it's not true. Yeah. But let's be clear. I mean, McDonald's chicken nuggets are vastly superior to Burger King's chicken nuggets, Dave. <laughs> so I don't know that I want to be associated we with this. Uh,
0: we haven't used that nickname in a long time, but we used to call Dane McNugget for this. I think probably. So, st-
4: yeah. I, I, He's still, yeah. Cause he is the original. He, yeah, he was there. Uh, he, he, he saw me <laughs> order the McNuggets after Roubaix in whatever years that was. Uh yes. but yeah, this is David- this is not a McDonald's sponsorship, unfortunately. It's a Burger King sponsorship. <laughs> uh, the Aelo Cometa team, the Alberto Contador Ivan Basso squad, uh, which won a stage at the uh, Giro this year, uh, has yeah picked up Burger King as a non-title sponsor. So it's not like Alberto Contador's team is going to have you know a Whopper on the jersey um, in in, in, the, in a prominent position. But there there will be uh, Burger King uh there somewhere uh, as they have picked up burger king as a as a non-title sponsor apparently the uh, the italian ceo of burger king seems to have been intrigued uh by the idea of sponsoring a uh, professional cycling team and and thus we all win because now burger king's money has entered the peloton and yeah maybe one one year who knows maybe they'll pick up uh to take it on a greater role. Maybe there'll be a title sp- Maybe they'll inspire Wendy's and McDonald's to get in. And I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm hopeful that, that fast food money will, will come into the sport. The fast I'm, food wars. I have a couple of thoughts here. One is that I'm a little
1: disappointed that Burger King didn't come on as a title sponsor because it affords all sorts of massive opportunities for the the kit and for the helmet. Like imagine the the like the creepy-looking Burger King mascot dude. Like you could have like like the weird, like gold crown, paper crown things that they used to give out to kids way back in the day, back, back, back in my day. Um, and, and you could, you could have had that, had that painted on on the helmets, and you could have had like, like some like creepy royal gown, a cape thing for the for the kit. And then if McDonald's comes in, think of what the press caravan could be if a McDonald's sponsored team made it to the Tour de France instead of throwing out like you know, weird sachets of laundry detergent or whatever. They could be just be like pitching chicken nuggets at people.
0: <laughs> that would be amazing. I would be 100% on board with this. Plus, you could have commentators say things like that was a whopper of a win. Ooh. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. But then
4: they could have, they'd have to stop once McDonald's came on board. They'd have to say that's a Big Mac of a win. You know, there'd be lawsuits. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, frankly, money, money into the sports good, right?
4: Money in the sport's good, and there used to be. Well, I guess tech, they technically, used to be fast casual money in the sport. Let's let's make the divide clear. When Chipotle was a sponsor, uh, mm. so maybe this is the beginning of it coming back. I'm hopeful.
1: Has, didn't McDonald's sponsor a team before? No, Taco Taco Bell used to sponsor Greg Lamond. Remember?
2: No, McDonald's oh, used right. to sponsor Amora Vita back in. Oh, that's, uh, right. that's what I'm In mid two thousands.
1: Right.
0: Yep, that's what I was thinking of.
2: I've just thought. When Chipotle used to sponsor the team, the uh, rest days at the tour were awesome, weren't they? Because they used to have a massive burrito uh, day at the team so you could media could pop around and get one. I, I blooming hope this team get to the Grand Tours this year because it'd <laughs> be all right nipping around their, uh, their press day, won't it?
0: Yeah, they, they sponsored Slipstream and they used to fly over actual chipotle burrito makers like from a chipotle somewhere in the united states and they would make chipotle somewhere in the middle of france like i went to uh where were we we were at some chateau the one with the purple robes anyway vauders is like a member of this of this wine thing and so we're in this like beautiful chateau somewhere in wine country Having wine on a rest day at the Tour de France and out come trays
4: and trays. Oh, that and just trays sounds wonderful.
0: Chipotle burritos. Oh man, it was it was the best. It was the best day I've ever had covering the Tour de France. We'll put, we'll put it that way. So, I, yeah, I 100 I percent hope that uh, that we end up seeing Burger King uh, back at the rest days of the Tour de France. I don't think that that team has Grand Tour ambitions at this point in time, but you never know. Up Contador and Boston yeah, I mean they, they'll they'll go to,
4: they'll probably go to the Giro. I mean that that's the thing. So yeah, yeah. I don't know about the
0: tour, so, but sounds like I'm covering the Giro this year.
2: Is this a better sponsor than Little then? Well, Little we've never gotten anything out
0: of Little, which for those not aware is a is a grocery chain uh, that sponsors Patrick Lefever's team under whatever name, it's is, it is currently De Koonink. What's the what's the no De koonink has gone. Uh, anyway. We'll call it, we'll just call it QuickStep forever.
4: <laughs> I feel like food sponsors are the best for free stuff cuz like you're not going to get a going to get a free floor, right? Like from QuickStep, and I got to like show up and just or like window fixtures from Deconnect that's not really something they can hand out at an event.
0: I went to a press conference once where they were handing out little little floor samples. Uh, I didn't Uh-oh. take oh, one okay. because I didn't I didn't think 8 square inches of floor was going to do me much good and I was in a rental car and thought it would just probably get thrown out. But they did have them there.
1: Kayleigh, you were supposed to strap them to the bottom of your feet so that you felt like what if, so you, you can tell what it felt like to walk on the floor all the time.
0: Ah. Uh, I just, it didn't even occur to me.
2: But if you're at the 20, oh, was it 2018 tour, I think, something like that, you could have got as many free bananas from Quick Step as Ooh, you that's would that's right. Liked. At the, at <laughs> oh, the, Shoddy, I was there with you, wasn't I? Yes, it was amazing. <laughs> They uh, had the press launch in a little, believe or yeah, not. I remember that. The, that was really strange. Before. I mean,
4: it came up like an escalator because it was, I don't yeah. know why they had an escalator at the little, but it was like they the whole team came up the little escalator. And they, like the fanfare yeah, but, wasn't, it just didn't seem as, as like epic as maybe a team presentation for the tour should have been, but it was also kind of hilarious and cool at the same time. Yeah,
1: but but they delivered something like 100 cases of bananas instead of 100 kilos or something. Wasn't, exactly. was that
2: it? Exactly. The, um, the guy who organises all the media stuff, the stuff for the Start Village, asked for like ten kilos of bananas for the next day from the from Little, and they said, "Yeah, yeah, no problem." And yeah, they delivered him something like a hundred kilos of bananas. And you went, you went to the team vans that the next morning, and the vans were full. Underneath the team bus was full. It was like bananas and a hundred kilos of bananas, hundred kilos of apples. It was incredible. <laughs>
1: Why, why, why do people listen to us talk about this stuff? Why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have some good stories.
0: Moving on to 2022 World Championships, which are happening in Australia, our spiritual home at Cycling Tips. Uh, Abby, what's going on in the gong?
3: Oh, God. <laughs> 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 you said that once and i was like i hope he never says that again says that again and then you just said it again
4: that's what they
0: call it i it's said did the wikipedia page they, they call it the gong
3: uh the, aussies aussies
0: cannot say an entire word i don't know if you were aware of this it's i did know for
3: that yeah. yeah the courses for the wollongong road race and time trial road races and time trials later in September of 2022, were kind of released. Uh, they released a cryptic look at the courses, but didn't actually say what they're going to be. So basically, there's a long kind of stretch along the coast that goes into two laps, uh, two circuits. There's a smaller circuit that goes along the Wollongong City City Center, and then there's the Mount Kiara loop, which contains a 8.7 kilometer long climb with average gradients of 5%. There's also a kicker in the, the Wollongong city circuit as well. So this is a pretty hilly course, actually. Um, as I said, we don't, we don't know how many circuits of these there, how many circuits of each loop they're going to do. We don't have actual, concrete details on the lengths of each race, but it's a 35 kilometer long opening lat opening stretch. And then the Mount Kiara loop is longer than the Longong city circuit. Um, The women's race is predicted to be 174 kilometers with 2,660 meters of climbing, which you can kind of compare to Innsbruck, I would say actually, which was a incredibly hilly road road race for worlds. Um and also that is way too long. And we will get into it on freewheeling, but that is a that is a long ass road race. For the men it's 174. Gonna, yeah, that's it's too long. <laughs> for the men it's gonna be around 250, 280 with I think I saw somewhere four thousand something meters of climbing. So it's uh It's not a. It's not an easy world's course. It's not, not sprinter friendly.
0: I think that's th- those straight numbers are actually not too dissimilar to the uh, the Flanders race this year. Um, I mean, over the course of 270 k or whatever, that's, you know, getting to 4,000 meters is not is not too surprising. Uh, but yeah, we we need to see the de- the actual details of the course itself to really know who it favors. But I think it's clear that it's not going to be a uh, a Mark Cavendish. Bow out at the end of his career, or something like that. I think it's going to be a different type of rider than that. And yes, if you want to hear about the very long women's road race course, pop over to Freewheeling this week. Abby and Co. will be chatting about that. Last thing on my list today. This is just a, a we're going to do a brief news piece here because we don't really have the time or space to. To dig too far into this, but we wanted to let listeners know. So there was a there was an anti-trans protest at the US Cyclocross Nationals over the weekend. Uh, and that has kind of blown up into a pretty vigorous response from both attendees and activists who were not pleased by that fact. And were not pleased with USA Cycling's handling of the fact that these uh these protesters were on the side of the course with big signs that said "Save Women's Sport." Um, there was a, a subsequently a, a letter sent in to USA Cycling signed by a couple dozen folks, including quite a few who were who were quite tied to USA Cycling itself. The 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 letter itself came from a, uh, a head of the Eastern Collegiate Cycling Conference. So. I believe those individuals actually paid by USA Cycling. Like I said, quite a few people have signed on to that. Uh, the, the letter called for the resignation or firing of USA Cycling's CEO, Rob DeMartini. Uh, And the sort of follow up on that is that Rob Martini is leaving USA Cycling. Now the two things do not appear to be related. I can't imagine they were related because uh, it was announced this morning and this is still just reporting. We haven't seen this confirmed by Martini or USA Cycling. Uh, that DiMartini is headed over to join mattress and pillow manufacturer Purple Innovation as acting CEO and board member, and I can't imagine that that whole process has happened in the last 36 hours. So, looks like that was already in the works, and U.S. Cycling will be looking for a new president. Is it president? CEO. President and CEO. There we go. That's his title. Uh, we'll be looking for a new president and CEO anyway. Now, the sort of ramifications of this and where this ends up we do not know yet and we feel pretty uncomfortable uh, interjecting ourselves into it without that knowledge so we're going to kind of leave it there and we will probably return to this topic at some point either in a written story on cyclingtips.com or in this podcast so if you have more questions about that head over to cycling tips the website and check out the story that we put up late monday night Has some more details in there and some links off if you want to check out the letter and things like that. So we will leave that there.
4: Nerd alert, nerd alert, nerd alert,
0: nerd alert. Let's move on to today's Nerd Nugget. James, we're talking about Bianchi and the potential return of domestic manufacturing. Domestic in this case, because it's Bianchi, being Italy. What's going on here?
1: Uh, Well, as reported by our friend over at Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, otherwise more affectionately known as Brain, uh, Bianchi has announced plans to uh, build a new headquarters uh, in Italy. It's supposedly uh, planned to be 325,000 square feet or 30,000 square meters. uh, About And a little more than half of that is supposedly devoted to bike production, which is slated to begin in 2023. Uh, Bianchi is quoting... Uh well, Bianchi's claiming that about a thousand bikes per day is gonna be the total capacity. it uh, doesn't say exactly what the split might be between aluminum and carbon fiber, but either way, that's pretty interesting in the sense that it's gonna move, well, supposedly a fair bit of production away from Asia, which is where Bianchi has had basically everything made for quite some time now. That that's
0: it's super interesting to me because, so I've been to the current Bianchi facility and It's surprising to me that they're building a new one because they already have a massive, massive facility. There's a whole string of Italian bike brands that all exist sort of along the same highway. I believe it's to the northeast of Milan. And Bianchi is one of them. And when I was there last time, they had this sort of little corner where all the offices were, they were where they were doing the designing and, and the marketing and whatever else, but the, the all the manufacturing was happening in Asia. And they were doing some bike building in the facility that they have in Italy, but no actual... By, by building, I mean like putting the parts on frames that were showing up from, from Asia. But that's all they were doing, and they were using probably, I don't know, 10% of the available space that they had there because this is a, a facility that they've been in for probably close to a century now that they had built... You know things during the world wars in that they had built bikes in for a very long time They have the space in the existing facility I I would imagine though that it is quite outmoded and it's quite outdated and they probably needed to do so much work to get that That existing space kind of up to speed with modern manufacturing, which they're going to have to Well, they're gonna have to be as efficient as possible to build bikes in Italy and not have them cost significantly more than they would have cost being built in Asia so not I guess not too surprising in some ways that they are just starting over, but at the same time like I said they 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 have this this existing giant manufacturing facility that I guess they're just going to scrape to the ground or sell or something like that. Uh I like this. I like the fact that that they're going to try to bring back domestic manufacturing. I'm intrigued to see what happens to prices. I'm intrigued to see what happens to sort of where they position themselves within the market. Uh Yeah, it's 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 an interesting move and and Perhaps brought on by a lot of the difficulties that the industry has had through the pandemic, with trying to get anything shipped, trying to get anything to where it needs to go, and you know we've heard from quite a few different brands that they're looking at at it's just essentially onshoring at least part of their manufacturing.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, uh, our our friend and fellow bicycle journalist uh, Joe Lindsay actually had a couple of interesting thoughts about this subject that he posted on his Twitter account. Uh, one that is pertaining directly to what you just mentioned is the idea that this is sort of being billed as reshoring. Um, but he quite adeptly pointed out that uh, Italian brands, Bianchi included, never really made carbon bikes in Italy anyway. Um, so this might be reshoring in the sense that they might be producing aluminum bikes there. Um, my guess is they're probably not making steel stuff any anymore, ever, but... Um, but, um, so yeah, it'd be kind of like reshoring of aluminum and it would sort of just be like an introduction of carbon manufacturing in scale or on scale to Italy, mm-hmm. uh, at least for Bianchi anyway. So yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there are a lot of aspects of this development to talk about. Um, it, it, like there's all sorts of implications either from like supply chain, like pandemic related stuff, you know, it, manufacturing design efficiencies, that sort of thing, um, yeah, so we, we could go on and on about this. And actually, now that you mentioned it, I do plan on going on and on about this on this week's Nerd Alert recording. So make sure you go check that out as well. So yeah, we're going to talk about this in more detail later.
0: Abby was yawning preemptively just now. <laughs> <laughs> and are going on and on about onshoring, reshoring.
2: reshoring. <laughs> I do hope this is a, the start of something uh, with a lot, a lot of manufacturing coming back to Europe. Because the last time, well... I suppose it was the first time, actually, I I went to Italy for cycling tips a a lot of years ago to to check out a a few brands, a few factories. I was disappointed. I was fresh to the job, and I basically walked around warehouses where they were, yeah, screwing bits onto bikes or just putting stuff in boxes. Luckily, I was driving to... From one bike man- clothing manufacturer to a bike manufacturer, and I noticed a dusty old factory, which I thought was shut. Uh, Gipie Wheels, Gipie I'm g- going to get abused for saying that. And they were still producing on site. It was amazing to go in there and see like this. What once was a, a relatively decent sized company still in Italy, still producing. And yet across the road, ITM where... It was a dusty old factory that, well, was left abandoned and had been purchased by an, an Asian company. So, yeah, fingers crossed it's the start of something. I know Mavic are um, opening a new factory just outside of Annecy. Um, and they're also planning on bringing the budget wheels back into Europe as well. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I haven't actually thought about Mavic in a while. <laughs> I wonder what they're up to Uh, well we'll keep an eye on this it's an interesting development and as Shadi was saying it's it's sort of happening across a couple different parts of the industry at this point in time so we'll let you know what else happens I think that's it for us this week for the penultimate cycling tips podcast of the year thank you for listening with us all year Uh, we'll be back next week with the final episode of the year I think it'll be the best All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.